We've been spending our time uh, looking at the theme of worship and our assembly, and so dovetailing nicely to that is a study in the Psalms. And so we're going to begin this morning by looking in the Psalms. And so I want to start with a, with a joke. It's a riddle, in fact. And if you've heard this, don't give it away for everyone else. What's black and white and red all over? Certainly not the newspaper. Have you noticed how obsessed we are with the present, with the things that are happening in this very moment? If you were to Google CNN or Fox News, their tagline is breaking news. And everything that is happening 24 hours a day on those news stations are breaking news. What is it about the newspaper that is no longer relevant enough for us that's so old school because that happened yesterday? We need what is immediate. What is our obsession all about? This craving for knowledge that we don't want to miss out anything. I think a part of it is that we realize our world and our culture is moving at a dizzying speed. And it is hard to keep up with all of the changes and the things that are happening. And as a result, with all this obsession with newness, I think there's something dangerous that may be seeping into our souls. I think, I fear that we are becoming a people who are incapable of taking a long-term view. Of seeing the value in things that are old and in things that have been around for a long, long time. Sometimes this obsession with newness can, uh, can be humorous. Uh, I don't often watch football, but the other day I found myself in the Y listening to some commentators talking about Sam Donaldson. If you don't know who he is, he's a rookie football quarterback with the New York Jets, signed a contract for $30.25 million. Some people said it was a really bad idea. Others thought it was a great idea. And after his first game, there the commentators were talking about how they've proven that that was a great investment. When you make a four-year investment, you can't judge its worthiness on a single game, can you? Do you get into the Hall of Fame based on how you performed in a single game? No, it's a lifetime in a career. We've found an obsession with the short term. Sometimes our obsession with the short term has more serious implications. Uh, a Christian minister is telling the story of sitting down with, uh, with a young man who said this. He said, I can't take this. It's too much. Either she deals with the issue... Or that's obvious she doesn't care about this marriage. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. And the minister says the punchline to the story is that he was talking to a gentleman who had been married for three months. We take a very short-term look at things. So where can we turn to develop a longer, slower, deeper view of spiritual formation? And where do we find a tried and true companion that can walk alongside us? in this journey of faith. I think one of the places that we can and we ought to look are the Psalms. The Psalms, of course, are a compilation of all different types of writings, uh, Psalms of praise, um, of hymns, of thanksgiving, of lament, of, of, of royal Psalms. And so we find that these hymns and these things, they precede the Internet. They precede Jesus. They're old. In fact, in some ways, reading the Psalms is almost like looking at that t-shirt that says, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. When you read the Psalms, you find that the things that you're enduring, the things that you're going through, the things that you're experiencing is not the first time ever 
in the history of the world that somebody has dealt with what you're currently dealing with. So I think that the Psalms, therefore, offer us a very contemporary word. One of the things about the Psalms is just the breadth that they offer us, composed over a period of 800 years. This is not somebody who sat down in one night and said, I'm going to write this. In fact, it's multiple authors, at least seven different authors contributing to this book. And they address all kinds of situations. They address fear. They address what you do when you're being pursued by enemies. What happens when things are going as you wish and as you planned? What happens when you're defamed? When you see God's blessing? When you're seriously ill? When it's a time of celebration? When there's excitement? I mean, all of these emotions are addressed and talked about in the Psalms. And so I think we can begin this morning by looking at Psalms 1 from a long view of spiritual formation. And I think we can see why... Looking at that, it can help us understand why the Psalms are a great companion in our spiritual formation. So if you have your Bibles, we will be in Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 begins with a word that we're very familiar with. Happy are those. See, we like to talk an awful lot about happiness, do we not? We have this sense of what it means to be happy. In fact, part of a a founding value for us is the ability to pursue what? To pursue happiness. Your Bible may have the word blessed here. Sometimes blessed and happy, they have uh, the same biblical connotation. But for us, it might be something a little different. So what are we talking about here when we're talking about happiness? Is it just this, this emotion as things are going right? Alan Ross defines it as the joyful spiritual condition of those who are right with God and the pleasure and satisfaction that is derived from that. That's biblical happiness. And so here we are talking about those who are happy and those who are blessed. But the thing I find ironic is those who do not. To us as modern readers, it's almost like a slap in the face. Because we think happiness is the ability to do anything we want, how we want. And now happiness is being defined by what you cannot do by the boundaries and the restrictions that we find there. We don't think we'll find happiness by not doing something. We think we'll always find happiness in the process of doing something. And so what is it that the happy people here do? They avoid certain people, and they avoid certain lifestyles. They're not in the presence of the wicked, nor of the sinners, nor of the scoffers. They stay away from those contexts. And as you look at it from a short-term view, you might quickly come to realize that you actually might not be happy if you were to follow this teaching. Because this assembly of uh, of the wicked, the advice of the wicked, what that most likely is referring to is these elders who would sit at the city gates. This community thing that would happen and they give counsel or they give advice. And when they're not giving godly advice, you stay away from that group of people. But when you stay away from the group of people, what does that leave you? You're alone. You're on your own. And you're isolated. And then we talk about the scoffers. And who are the scoffers? The scoffers are people who are making fun of those who are following the way of righteousness. So if you are righteous, what is happening to you? You are being made fun of people. People are insulting you and saying, oh, your faith is so primitive, it's so silly, it's not based in reality. And say happiness is a people who stays away from all of that. In the short-term view, there is no happiness here in terms of how isolated we will feel, 
how alone we will feel. How many of you want that kind of a happy life? Away from the community of people feeling that sense of isolation. It, it seems like a very strange sort of way of talking about happiness. It's the same kind of way Jesus talks about happiness. In the, in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, is he saying, blessed are, happy are, person after person. And then he looks at the disciples and he says to them, he said, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and speak all kinds of evil against you because of me. How many of you want to volunteer this morning for that kind of happiness? From the short-term view, this psalm makes absolutely no sense. It must be rejected from the short-term view. But instead, what this psalm is doing, it is taking a long-term view of life and a long-term view of those who are blessed. And so in addition to what we are to avoid, this psalm points out that the happier are those who pursue certain things. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law they meditate day and night. And here again, we have this sense of developing a long-term habit. This is not a text that is saying, when something goes bad, turn to the Bible until you feel better, then forsake the Bible. No, it is calling for us to meditate day and night, and it's not marking times as in day and night. It's marking all of the times between morning and evening. So what do we do between morning and evening we meditate on the law. Meditate for us is more of a mental or an internal thing. But in the Bible, it carries more the sense of to, to murmur. It has the sense of it's something that's on your lips and it's on your heart and it's in your mind. And so we talk about it and we obey it. That second part law in here, the, the, the Torah that's talked about, is, is just a general teaching or instruction. And many people see this as a reference to the Psalms themselves. What will the righteous person do? Day and night, throughout the day, they will meditate on the words that they find here in the very book of the Psalms. And there is an affection that comes with this. They delight in the law. Now again, this has to be looked from a long-term view. I will be the first to admit there are times I read the Bible with absolutely no delight. It feels like obligation. And it feels like burden. But the more that I read the Bible, the more I begin to fall in love with its words. The more I can delight in it. And so again, we're looking at a long-term, not a moment-by-moment -moment thing, but a long-term view. One basketball player once said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I was entrusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. Basketball player, of course, is Michael Jordan, who over a long career, you see faithfulness, you see him performing well, but there are these moments where there was failure. You see, this notion of delight is not something that is, is measured by moment by moment, but is measured by a longer view in terms of your relationship with God's teaching. And then the psalmist goes on to say, they are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in season. And their leaves do not wither, and all they do, they prosper. And so we come to this picture of a tree, something that grows very slowly. A tree is very much unlike a weed. Can you imagine that little baby tree complaining to his mother about the weed next door? Because the weed in the amount of time, the tree is just but inches tall, and already the weed is feet tall. How did that happen in just a few months? 
How come everything good happens to the weed and it's getting the best sunlight and when it rains it's getting the water before it even gets to me? Life is simply unfair. I wish I was the weed that grew quickly rather than the tree that grows slowly. And yet we find that the righteous are like the tree who take a slower, long-term view of growth. And that tree, it is planted by streams of water. It has a source of nourishment that is not dependent on the weather of a particular day. The funny things about weeds is as quickly as they can grow up, just as quickly can they die and wither. But the tree that is there by the water of life, it will continue and it will remain strong even in adversity. And here we find the psalmist speaks of seasons. Trees have seasons. Can you imagine again the tree in the winter complaining to its mother saying, Why am I not bearing fruit? I'm supposed to be bearing fruit. And the mother will say, This is not the time to bear fruit. God has appointed a season and this is not the season for you to bear fruit. A few months ago I was up running on the rims on a foggy morning. And I would go through these patches where I could see but one or two feet in front of me. And then it would just clear up and I could see as far as the Beartooth Mountains. And then just a few seconds later, I'd be in another patch of fog and I could barely see. You see, there are these movements and these times in life where it's, it's a season. When, when I ran in the fog, guess what I did? I ran. When I could see clearly, guess what I did? I ran. I did the exact same thing. I think in our spiritual lives, sometimes we need to realize there will be seasons in our faith. And what do we do? We remain faithful. We continue to meditate on the Word of God even in our dry seasons, and we meditate on the Word of God when things seem clear. God will bring us to where we need to be if we are faithful through the process. I think too often what we do when we get into the fog is we say, oh, what did I do now wrong, and how do I fix this? But if this is a God of seasons, then we will expect that we, just like the tree, will be there. But the text does say, in all they do, they prosper. And that's going to be a fascinating concept for us because as we get into the Psalms, we will find out that there is more lamenting than any other type of Psalms. And you read some of these Psalms and you say, oh, if that's prosperity, I don't want prosperity. Prosperity here is talking about faithful obedience. They prosper in that they, they receive what faith offers people. The circumstances will change, but obedient people will continue to prosper in their relationship with God. But not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. The wicked have no roots. Nothing to hold them firm. The, the, the wicked may seem to be prospering and may seem like everything is going well. And you may even be tempted to say, I want to go over to wickedness side until the wind comes. And the tree will be anchored and it will withstand it, but not so the wicked. They will simply blow away because they are but a wisp, but a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. They have no life. They are fleeting and they are faddish. And when all the dust settles, there will be nothing envious about their lives. But I think that if we're honest, we live in a culture where we're chasing after the weeds. Where we're saying, hey, that seems to work. We should go do that. Oh, that seems to work. We should go do that. And nothing has been tested by time. But the Psalms and the words of God have been tested by time. 
And therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. See, this psalm, like many psalms, has a long-term future-oriented trajectory. See, there is a time that we will not stand in the presence of the wicked. But then there is also a time that the wicked will not stand in the judgment. There is a time that we will be alone and isolated because we have chosen to follow God's teachings. But there is also a time we will find ourselves in the congregation of the righteous. See, the Psalms are calling for us to take a long-term view. It's not about saying, is this working today? Is, is this effective in this moment? But it's about saying, where is the future heading? And which side of the future do I want to be on? Because even this psalm speaks, like many, of a great future reversal. Where things like those who have isolation will have a community. And those who have a community will then be isolated. Those with plenty will at some point have little. That the first will be last. That the least will be the greatest. And why is that? It's because the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Whether we see it in this moment, whether we see it today, we recognize in the long term that God is watching over us. See, this psalm calls for our lives to be like trees rooted in the living teachings of God. Those who live life in this way will be blessed, and whatever injustices they endure will in the future be made right. But see, what's ironic about Psalm 1 is it models, in fact, the whole trajectory of all of the psalms. You may notice in your Bible, um, Psalm 1 above it, and my Bible says book 1. You wonder what that's about. Psalms actually is composed of five separate books that have been brought into one. And what I want to look at for just a moment is I want to look at the very last verse of each of these books because it shows the trajectory of each individual book. So here they are, the last verses. Uh, In Psalm chapter uh, 41, verse 13, which is at the end of book 1, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. The very last book in verse in book 2. Blessed, are the Lord, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May His glory fill the whole earth. Amen and amen. Final verse in book 3. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Final verse in book 4. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. And then book 5 is actually very interesting because it's in fact the last five, six chapters that is all this trajectory. But I'm going to read not the last verse, but the very last chapter in Psalms, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the trumpet sound. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with the tambourine and dance. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with clanging cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you see how each book ends on this high note? This recognition that wherever those psalms have been in terms of of psalms of great celebration and joy and psalms of, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to make it out of this alive, they all move in the direction of recognizing God's faithfulness and that God is ultimately praised. 
See, I think the Psalms are a reliable companion in the spiritual life because of their honest, hope-filled orientation. You may have walked alongside somebody when you were going through something who said, don't cry, don't be sad, God's in control. The psalmist don't say that. What, what the psalm will say is, cry today and we'll celebrate tomorrow. What the psalmist will say to us is to look at the long-term perspective, not just a moment in time. Today, yes, today you can complain, and tomorrow we'll celebrate. Today you can express your anger, and tomorrow we'll celebrate. It recognizes the emotions that we go through in this life, but it's always oriented towards this recognition of a God who is faithful. See, I think that the Psalms are a reliable companion because they speak into the experience of our lives. See, I wonder if you think that the Psalms might have anything to say to Sue. Sue writes about finding herself on the sifting ground of midlife. And here's how she describes the experience. The familiar circles of my life left me with a suffocating feeling. My marriage seemed stale, unfulfilling, my religious structures stifling. Things that used to matter do not matter anymore. Things that had never mattered are now paramount. My life has curled up into the frightening mark of a question. And so do the Psalms speak to someone like Sue? Yeah. They speak to what it is like to feel directionless, to feel uncertain, and to not understand and to know exactly what's Happening, And so if Sue were to lean upon the Psalms as a trustworthy companion, I think she would find comfort and she would find hope. But what about Gerald, who says, I was diagnosed with cancer in 1995. Can the Psalms speak to a person diagnosed with cancer? He says, the experience brought me closer to God and to my loved ones than I'd ever been, and that was wonderfully good. Do the Psalms give expression to times when life feels wonderfully good? And yet, as he goes on, he talks about how the chemotherapy, he found out that it caused a heart disease that now has him waiting on a heart transplant. Do the Psalms speak to those waiting for a heart transplant? See, the answer, of course, is yes. The Psalms speak with joy, and they speak in hardship. They offer us something more permanent than the breaking news. Something that is not fleeting, but something that is instead enduring. They place us and they anchor us in the long view of history. In fact, I think if you were to read the Psalms, you would probably hear this whisper of Julian of Norwich as you read each one. She writes, All shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. That's what the Psalms whisper when you read them. They're hope oriented, but they don't ignore the reality that we're dealing with today. And I don't think it's any coincidence that the Psalms are the most quoted book in the New Testament. Because the Psalms are so future-oriented that they talk often about one who will come. About one whom God will call his son. About one whom God will put on the throne. About one who will suffer, and his suffering will become hope for those of us. You see, much of the Psalms points forward to what God has done in Jesus Christ. Isn't that something humbling to think about? What they were anticipating is what we are experiencing. Life under the rule and the lordship of God's own son. God is good. 
and he shows his goodness through the Psalms. I hope over the next few weeks as we look at the Psalms, we will learn to see them as trustworthy companions. Not as something fleeting, not as something that will give us momentary pleasure, but as an anchor that will draw us closer to this God we serve. I'll offer this morning a blessing coming out of Psalm 103, verse 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits. And here's the benefits the psalmist wants to remind us of this morning. Who forgives your iniquity, who heals your diseases, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. May we this morning not forget the benefits that he has offered us. If you want to respond,